0: Time to talk geopolitics now. There is, of course, plenty to talk about.
1: There's a war in Ukraine, shipping lanes blocked in the Red Sea, the war in Gaza, and not to mention uncertain economies all over the place. And we're starting with economies today. Um, We're chatting to our geopolitics correspondent, Helen Clark. Helen, of course, is a former Prime Minister of New Zealand. She was the head of the United Nations Development Programme for a long time, and she's the patron of the Helen Clark Foundation, which is a public policy think tank. She spoke to me from Davos In Switzerland, she's been attending the World Economic Forum, and I began by asking her what the point of the World Economic Forum actually is.
2: We spent five days there last week. Firstly, it's a huge networking event. Just about everyone who's anyone across international organisations is there. You get quite a lot of heads of government, senior ministers across portfolios. There's a wide range of subjects discussed. I tend to be picked up by the health stream. So Mm -hmm. I was doing uh, events moderating on climate and health, on antimicrobial resistance, which is a a huge issue. You know, we we hear about Mm -hmm. drug-resistant TB, but what if we had antibiotic-resistant pneumonia? Mm -hmm. Uh, I also uh, did events on, on women's leadership, on bio threat, the surveillance, uh, just also on, on governance because I chair the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of things to say about uh, anti-corruption and, and transparency measures. So a lot of the things I'm involved in there is discussion around, around at, at Davos, and it's just a good place to pick up what's going on and, and make a contribution.
1: Davos is, well I don't really know if this is true but you'll be forgiven for for thinking that first and foremost it is an economic thing, an economic forum, I mean it's in the name. And um, economic conditions have been turbulent in many countries over the past year or so. So when you think about the forum, how would you summarise the general outlook for the world? So it is
2: called the World Economic Forum but of course economies don't operate or function in a vacuum Mm. they're affected by everything else that's going on Uh, so for example with with the the climate crisis we're experiencing we know in our own country how damn expensive it is Mm. to recover from major events like the the tragic flooding rain events last year in, in in new zealand and it's expensive to put in place the infrastructure hard and soft which will cope better with that in in the future uh, we know it's expensive to try to bring down our greenhouse uh, gas uh, footprint but we've got to do it at some point and the sooner you do it the the better it is mm. uh, similarly the pandemic had a huge impact on economies including our own mm. everyone dug very deep to try and you know keep their society and economy going through that so that's why there are so many topics discussed at, at, at Davos, not least geopolitics. Mm. Geopolitics affects economies. We know that ourselves, as does every country, that the war on Ukraine caused a spike in, in, in fuel prices, in, in food prices. It's, it's driven inflation. Now we have all the uncertainty uh, around the Middle East, which also impacts uh, again. So economies... part of this broader context and that's why the wide range of issues is discussed with respect to economies look the the business people who go they they tend to be upbeat they like to see the the best side of things but generally the mood is that everyone knows that we are navigating through times of great Volatility, mm. volatility has become the new normal. So the better informed you are about what's going on in the world and what's coming down the track, the better equipped you are to navigate through this. Let,
1: let's talk a bit about uh, geopolitics, which I imagine was in the foreground of, of many discussions at, at Davos, both public and, and behind closed doors, and, and particularly the downstream effects of war and conflict. Because what you were, what you were getting at there, I think, is you know the idea that everything is linked the economy is everything economies are everything and everything is economies and this is demonstrated very well by the wars and the conflicts that are on at the moment economic hardship and repression can cause war and conflict and war and conflict invariably leads to economic hardship and repression and the world has a lot to deal with at this point in time doesn't it yes we we
2: face what uh, some call a syndemic of crises, simultaneous crises. When the pandemic came, we were already, you know, experiencing the rising costs of of what was happening with the major climate events. Uh, we've seen a, a significant rise in the level of conflicts around the world, even before Ukraine, and now. This catastrophe in Gaza, the, the level of conflicts was was up. So all of this adds to the uncertainty. There's also, I think, a crisis of inequality in our world that you know, we have seen in, in a lot of places. Middle class hollowed out. Um, you know, the the, the world of the, the super rich, while while others struggle to get a foothold. At Davos, you pick up a little bit the um, edginess between the the gig economy. Uh, uh, companies which, mm. you know, own nothing but provide platforms and 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 the real economy who, you know, actually make stuff, produce stuff, dig it up, uh, you know, who don't tend to do as well as the, the, the digitized uh, style of economy. This year, artificial intelligence was quite a big theme. Mm. And, again, with technology, you have those who say, gee whiz, bang, you know, isn't this exciting – and, and we all know there's a lot of opportunities uh, and potential in it. But then, as public policymakers, you have to be conscious that there are risks to be mitigated as well. So, look, all these kinds of issues are gone into in that in that Davos uh, format, so people get a, a better idea of what we're dealing with.
1: Davos is not a, a diplomatic summit, as such, but you know it is a gathering of uh, really clever and many very influential people as well. So. Has the question of how to de-escalate in the Middle East and in Ukraine in particular been a topic of discussion whether formal or informal that, that you've come across? both
2: formal and informal so for example President Zelensky came he addressed the uh, the full conference and the in the Congress hall I, I would I tend not to hear those events because I'm involved in so many side events and mm. dialogues and discussions and panels. Uh, but he, he certainly made his his case again. He did uh, put I think more of an emphasis on trying to uh, end the war through negotiation now but um, I think we're still still uh, you know, a, a way off knowing how this is going to to play out on the the Middle East uh, crises the U.S Secretary of State were there, was there, other foreign ministers were were there, this was very much a topic of discussion, the Israeli president uh, was was there um, again not much light at the end of the tunnel mm. while this catastrophe continues but it it might not have been noticed in New Zealand but the UN has appointed the former uh, Dutch foreign minister, uh, Sigrid Karg, who used to work for me at UNDP as a senior humanitarian court coordinator to try to get more Humanitarian aid flowing into Gaza. She she's just been in the region, including in Egypt and in uh, Rafah and Gaza and in Israel, and she's doing her best to try to you know, get get some more desperately needed support in there. Look, the the general discussion is that you have to move towards serious negotiation for a two-state solution. But, of course, at the moment, you have a prime minister in Israel who's absolutely set himself uh, against that. And until that's unlocked, and that will only be unlocked, one suspects by significant pressure from the United States, Mm. um, the horror will go on.
1: Speaking of the United States, I mean... You know, this is our first geopolitics chat of of 2024. Hopefully, we'll have a few more before the year is out. But as you examine the state of the world and the balance of power between nations, I mean, and in, 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 in for the past what hundred hundred years, just about the US has been the dominant player. But when you look at that balance of power and where the world is heading, what are your observations about the sort of short to mid term? future and how the balance of power between nations might swing.
2: I felt when uh, Barack Obama was US president that he got it that we were entering a multipolar world in which the US was obviously still going to be very very powerful but not uncontested. I think the US uh, is is struggling uh, with the rise of China and how to, you know, work work around that and it's not just geopolitically it's also uh, geoeconomically that that china is a a major power in the in the world today so the us has been used uh, since the end of the cold war the the former cold war (laughs) we're probably in another two or three now Mm. uh, it's been used to being the unchallenged superpower but that's not the case anymore and when you have this kind of you know Environment where new powers are emerging. Uh, it, it's an unsettled time. No one quite knows how it will, will pan out. And I think that the U.S. itself is 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 not so clear on what its role is.
1: An, an observation that you hear, even from you know supporters of the the Democratic Party in America, is, is the idea that America is close to squandering its uh, its moral high ground in, in in global affairs through its involvement in, in, in certain wars? I mean where do you stand on on that idea so I think the
2: the u.s did a, a good job of mobilizing significant part of the world's countries in in support of of Ukraine and we we all saw the horrors of the you know the massacres and torture and butcher we we've you know, lived through what, close to two years now of of seeing these terrible news reports from Ukraine of cities just flattened, civilians killed, you know, horrific death toll on militaries all around. But then the world is looking at these images from Gaza and saying, "Well, hang on, uh, you know, killing is killing, catastrophe is catastrophe," and they see the US not doing much to stop it. So I think that does create uh, quite a lot of difficulties for for the U.S. No moral high ground there.
1: From their point of view, though, Joe Biden might well say, you know, Hamas, Russia, they have both been aggressors. They've both lit a a, a spark that has led to an explosion. Our actions here are are consistent. Although I suppose it doesn't really matter what he says if if people don't believe, believe him. You know, that's real politics, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, as I say, the person on the street watching the TV at night, watching the social media, what, what they see is horror in, in those in, environments. And and by the way, we, we tend to focus on the ones, you know, the CNN effect where we see it night after night, right? Uh, we're not uh, looking at, at the ongoing horrors in in Somalia or, yeah. you know, up in the Boko Haram-affected area of Nigeria or, you know, any, any of a number of, of conflict environments at, at the moment. So, yeah, the, the world has some grim realities right now.
1: There are likely to be some extremely consequential elections over the next 12 months. Taiwan's already gone to the polls uh, and, and elected a... A pro-independence president, India will vote. The UK is likely to vote. Russia will vote. The USA will vote. Um, th- this could be this could be one of the most significant years in in modern history. It feels, Alan.
2: Well, it, it is a huge election year, as, as you say, and and some of the results are quite predictable, like the the Russian one. Mm. The main um, the main opposition leaders in a jail somewhere in Siberia. and little prospect of, of coming out, uh, I think there'll be elections in Belarus. Same thing. Mm. We, we know who will win because the opposition's either in exile or it's, or it's in jail. Um, India, uh, I mean, I guess uh, Prime Minister Modi stands a pretty good chance of being re-elected <laughs> re- re- there. Uh, the UK, I think the signs are that people want change. Mm. Um, the USA, that's, that's, that's the biggie. Mm. We just don't know how that's going to play out.
1: And just finally on this, you know, in this volatile, and people might be forgiven for feeling an unstable world, how do you see New Zealand's place now? Do you think that we have some big decisions coming down the line when it comes to our geopolitical positioning?
2: I think New Zealand needs to keep its its head you know, when everyone else around you is losing theirs, that becomes even, even more important. Look, you know, many of us have long valued the independent foreign policy positioning New Zealand had. So it, it is a concern when you see a, a drift to just sort of automatically signing up to statements that others have written and you've had little input into. Uh, I think you know, it's time for a deep breath and looking at what really is in New Zealand's interests here, and our interests are wide ranging. We, you know, we've got interests in the governance of the oceans, we've got interests in, in our in our trade and keeping that healthy. We've got, you know, interest in stable government. We we do have values, interests, and people being able to enjoy um, freedom of speech and rights. So let's just keep a, a clear head about all this.
1: Helen Clark quoting Rudyard Kipling. Uh, there you go. You only get it all nights on RNZ National. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. I, I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks a lot. Bye now.
0: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott.